Hey, welcome to the Bible Savvy Podcast, a weekly conversation on how to understand, enjoy, and apply God's Word. I'm your host, Nikki Lucas, and I'm joined by Executive Pastor Eric Ferris and Teaching Pastor Clayton Keenan. We're about to jump into a passage from the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy, but before we do, guys, the Olympics is coming up. So is there anything that you're looking forward to in it? Like, are you Olympic watchers? Hmm, Clayton, a non-sports uh, uh, guy. Are you an Olympic uh, watcher? Uh, you know, I, I, I will watch a little bit just out of like cultural connection. Like I just want to, you know, like be there for what people are watching. Because here, here's the thing about all the sports, okay? So if you're talking about baseball, you're talking about football, you're talking about basketball, these are things that people follow all the time. Like so all people around us, you, you, like it's always going on. But m- almost all of the sports in the Olympics are things that people only care about once every four years, which means I'm not at like a loss of being like, I don't know these swimmers until I like, you know, learned about them here. Like most people don't know who these people are until this year comes along. So it feels less of like, uh, I don't know, I got to invest all this time to, to follow it. It's like, mm. no, I can just watch this event and enjoy it for these five minutes, talk about it tomorrow, and then it's it's done, you know? It's it's uh, leveling the playing field It levels the playing field. Yeah, because there's not a lot of hammer throw experts out there. <laughs> exactly. Do you watch anything, Nikki? I... I actually don't. I'm, I'm probably more along the lines of Clayton. I'll turn it on every once in a while and, and watch a few of it. But I, I'm not a big Olympic watcher. I used to be a big X Games watcher, the extreme sports. Wow. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Learned Nikki something new about Nikki. Yeah. You skate? I used to. No, I'm terrified of it now. I can't. I, I tried earlier this summer. I got on my longboard again, and I had a pretty gnarly crash. And I kind of tuck off the tip of my pinky finger, and I just went, mm, I think that's... I think I'm done. So I uh, I like all the pageantry of the Olympics. I like the opening ceremonies. I like the whole like humanity is coming together, <laughs> you know. And I know it's completely artificial <laughs> and about an inch deep, right? Because they're all going to go back to their home countries and they're going to keep warring with each other. Uh, but for these two weeks, we're gonna we're gonna pretend we all love, each other, each, other, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, much, uh, we love each other and just compete in beautifully innocent athletic competition. So, as much as I know it's an illusion, I I do like the pageantry and all the things that the Olympics stand for, stand for. I love sports, so I love watching anything that is competitive. Here's what I don't like. I don't like the the nonstop bios that they do. It I, I want to watch sports. I want to watch people compete, and and they they're starting to turn the Olympics a lot into like what you see on like The Voice or American Idol or some of these shows where you watch like a ten minute story of this person, and then you watch like on a, on The Voice or American Idol, you have to watch like this, you know, five to seven minute bio to watch them sing a song for two minutes, and they're starting to do at the Olympics where you get this long bio. And then you watch them shoot an arrow, and then you have to watch, and then you have to watch another bot. It's like just, just show me. I just want to. Can I just watch some guys play water polo, please? That's all I really want to do. I love the fact that you said you watch them shoot an arrow because the opening ceremony of the Olympics often reminds me of the Hunger Games, like that. Of you know, oh, when just they like, shoot the yeah, arrow into the torch. <laughs> yeah, so. I got, I got you on that. So yeah, I watch the Olympics, and I. I love like the obscure sports, which is why I think I like the Winter Olympics. I, I might be the one person that likes the, the Winter Olympics better. Oh, There's just such do. weird stuff going on in the Winter Olympics, like uh, watch the bobsledding. 
Oh, no, the, my favorite one that makes zero sense to me is the biathlon where they cross-country ski and then every once in a while they stop to shoot some guns <laughs> and then they just go skiing again. It's like, it's the most random <laughs> putting together of two different sports. What's that one with like, it's like that giant puck and they take like brooms and Curling? they're like... Curling? Curling. Is that what it is? And yeah. It's like they, they make it move? Someone yeah. made up that sport. <laughs> yeah, people, people that live in countries that it's cold year-round, they got nothing oh, better to do. It's amazing. All right, Clayton, you're comma guy. Tell us All what we're talking right. about. All right, so we are in the book of Deuteronomy. This is our, our first time we've talked about Deuteronomy on the podcast, although we've been reading it for a little while now. Uh, we're going to be in Deuteronomy 7. Let me give a little context for the book. Uh, this is the last book in the Pentateuch. So the Pentateuch, first five books of the Old Testament, sometimes called the book of Moses, because he's the one who put them all together here. And so Moses is... Uh, he's actually giving kind of a farewell address in the book of Deuteronomy. So it's kind of a series of sermons or kind of pep talks even standing on the edge of the land, the promised land, and saying, you're about to go into this and let me remind you of what you need to know. And so it's, you, you think about this and it, it helps kind of almost with the tone or the, the energy behind it to think these are Moses's last words. Like this is like, I've got this group of people that I've struggled with my whole life and they're finally here. And I'm trying to tell them the most important things so that they are, they flourish and they, they succeed in the land that they're going into. So when you read this, sometimes it's easy to sort of get kind of monotone in your head, but the feeling should be, this is someone who really loves and cares about these people, who's worked hard for them, and now he's telling them, don't forget these things. And so uh, we're going to get a portion of this. We're just going to read uh, 11 verses here uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 7. Hey, Clayton, before I read it, why don't you tell everybody that's listening what the word Deuteronomy means? Ah, Deuteronomy. So uh, Deuteronomos, and so it means second law, okay? So Deutero, like two, and namas, which is the Greek word for law. And the idea is that this is kind of a rehearsal, kind of a review of the law. They got it when they were at Mount Sinai in the book of Exodus and the book of Leviticus. They traveled for 40 years. This is another generation. And now this is sort of the second uh, description, uh, summary of those laws. Yeah, which is why sometimes people review to refer. I can't even speak today. This is going to be a problem (laughs) since this is all about talking into a microphone. That's why a lot of people refer to Deuteronomy as the book of review. Uh, Because in a lot of ways, that's what we're getting from from Moses. And I always tell people when I'm teaching Bible intro classes, you know, you read Genesis, the story's tracking along, Exodus, Leviticus. Leviticus is a bit of a slog, but it's situated in the story. Numbers, the story is flowing. Then you get to Deuteronomy and you start getting confused because you're like, didn't I already read all this stuff? And the answer is yes, you're not crazy. You are familiar with this stuff because you have already read it in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, and we're getting a bit of review from Moses before we go into the promised land. So just want to help you not feel crazy today if you've been thinking that during the first uh, seven chapters of Deuteronomy. All right, so Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 1 to 11, when the Lord your God brings you into the land you are entering to possess and drives out before you many nations, the Hittites, Girgashites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, seven nations larger and stronger than you. And when the Lord your God has delivered them over to you and you have defeated them, then you must destroy them totally. Make no treaty with them. Show them no mercy. Do not intermarry with them. Do not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons, for they will turn your children away from following me to serve other gods, and the Lord's anger will burn against you and will quickly destroy you. This is what you are to do to them. 
break down their altars, smash their sacred stones, cut down their Asherah poles, and burn their idols in the fire. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all of the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and and keep his commandments. But those who hate him, he will repay to their face by destruction. He will not be slow to repay to their faith those who hate him. Therefore, take care to follow the commands, decrees, and laws I give you today. All right, let's start with the O in comma here, observation. So things that we see here, what do you guys see? I see counterintuitive instructions. And what I mean by that is whenever you move to a new area, you go in assuming I need to adapt to the culture. I need to learn new things. I need to become like them, right? Your, your number one stress is like, how am I going to fit in? Mm-hmm. And the coaching here is don't you dare try to fit in. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm looking too, like there's, um, I don't know, the best way I can describe them, like these absolutes, like when the Lord brings you in, when he delivers the people over to you, like once you've defeated them, then you must like, and if you don't, like if you give your sons and your daughters, they will turn your children away from, from me. And if that happens, God's anger will burn against you and he will destroy you quickly. Like it's this warning because if this happens, this will most, like this is going to happen. And if this over here happens, this is definitely going to happen. Like that, that might, I might've just confused everybody with that, but it's, it's this thing like God is telling them, this is what's going to happen. And it's this warning to, to listen, like he's laying it out. Yeah, there's, it's almost a sense of inevitability of like, mm-hmm. like, all right, people, let's be realistic. You, you might think that you can go in and you can hang out with everybody and sort of, you know, you keep your way of life, they keep theirs. But if you, if you do that here, what, whatever you think right now, here's where this, that road leads. Like it's, it, there's no other destination. It's, it's, it's one stop and it's, it's not good. And so there is a, a sense of, I need to be straight with you this is the inevitable outcome of those choices. Mm-hmm. It's the, uh, feels like the more harsh equivalent to do not be deceived, bad company corrupts good character. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So with the bad company corrupts good character, right? It's like, look at, look at what the go-to is. This is what you are to do to them, right? It's to break down all of their altars and all their sacred stones and basically to destroy everything that would lead God's people away from him to worshiping false gods. Like, that's what he was so worried about. Like, he didn't. He knew that if they came in and they did that, that what those people were about, which was worshiping these false gods, would eventually, potentially, eventually become what his people would become about. Yeah, I think there's, you know, to, to make the connection to us, there's... Uh, like so, we look at these things and we say, "What's the big deal? Like, how how would this be tempting to them? You know, like 
they, they got all these things. And in some ways, we're like, you're just going in and you're kind of just destroying their cultural stuff. And this is, this seems weird. But in in our current situation, similar things are there. Like the things that, that uh, the world around us participates in, it's normal, and so on. And we look at that and say, well, what's, what's the big deal? Like, we can be around that. But there are things that we need to be honest with ourselves. The more we spend time uh, hearing the stories that, that people tell and engaging with the entertainment that people have and pursuing the things that people in our society pursue and, and living the pattern that we have in our society, the more the kind of implicit values grab us and that we say, oh, yeah, that makes sense. That's normal. Like the more they would hang out with these, the, you know, the Asher poles and the sacred stones, the more they feel like, well, this is just the, the kind of normal way you interact with with the gods and, and so on. Um, and we know from Israel's history that they just sort of normalize that, that they would they would have Asher poles, which are these kind of, you know, uh, you know, poles that represented a, a, you know, a deity or whatever, a goddess. They brought those into the temple eventually. So like the things that Moses said, this is going to happen, they happened to the people of Israel. One of the things that I wanted to ask about this particular passage is this idea of staying away from people, right? Like we know God is telling his people to to stay away from people um, of these pagan nations. But we we just recorded a podcast episode last week that talked about how, you know, we're meant to to be united with each other. So, yeah, you, you think about this, and the the people who last week when we talked about Ephesians chapter two, the the people who are reading that, they're people who've been reading their Bible. Like Deuteronomy is pretty important. Like this wasn't an obscure passage to them, and they're thinking, um, okay, Paul, uh, we, the, God told us <laughs> that this is how we're supposed to interact with people, and now you're telling us we're we should all just live together and be happy and what what is the deal with that so here's one major difference i can think of uh, between deuteronomy 7 and ephesians in deuteronomy 7 you have the hittites girgashites amorites canaanites perizzites hivites and jebusites and none of them were worshiping the one true god they were worshiping false gods and there were evil and vile practices that went along with the worship of these false gods so the coaching for the people of god is don't you dare Don't you dare intermingle with these people. When you get to Ephesians, and it's talking about Jews and Gentiles coming together as one, it's everybody that is worshiping the one true God through Jesus. And so that is, it's a major difference in terms of of what is happening in those two two different periods of time. In fact, when you look at other instructions in the New Testament about how to relate to people who are not followers of Christ, it's... It's uh, fairly similar to this in, in the sense that you're supposed to, to not uh, intermingle and sort of become partners with people. Uh, it's not the same as, you know, drive them out of their land, take over or whatever. Um, that, that's kind of a different uh, time and place. But um, the, the instruction of don't marry someone who isn't a Christian, like it's directly in the New Testament. Uh, not to do that. And there's a sense of, even uh, a sense of, you know, there may be business partnerships or things like that where uh, to to connect yourself with someone who has different values is going to sort of move you to do things that wouldn't be faithful to Christ. Don't go into that partnership. You know, there, there are those kind of like close friendships that that cause you to, uh, you know, say, yeah, well, this sort of behavior, that sort of thing is, is okay. Like God says, you've got to have boundaries about those things. So there, there still is that um, difference between uh, people who uh, have an allegiance to the one true God and those who don't. Um, it's not the same because there's not this sort of territory that God is giving to the people, uh, but there are still those, those barriers. 
I want to uh, point out sort of the second half of the passage that we read. We looked at it kind of like how not to mix with the, the people. Um, I, there's a real temptation when uh, God says, hey, you need to be different from the people around you to start to think because you're better than the people around you. But he very quickly, Moses very quickly addresses this in verse 7. He says, the Lord didn't set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than the other people. Like, you, you weren't more impressive. You were actually fewer than all the other people. Like, you weren't, like, when I looked at all the nations, you know, God's saying, like, I, I didn't say, oh, who is the very best that's going to make me look so good, who's so worthy, who's earned this, who really deserves all of this? He actually found kind of the runts. In fact, he he found someone who didn't even exist. He found, like, an old man who had no children and said, let me make a people out of you. And so... Um, Moses is reminding them, like, this is, this is the reason you're in it all is not because you're morally superior or culturally superior or anything to the people around you. In fact, you, you're the weakest. Yeah, and in some ways, the, the fact that they are a numerous and victorious people group now has a lot to do with God's faithfulness to the covenant he made with them because they're the, the blessings and curses which kind of uh, govern the the covenant that he, he made with them. And one of the blessings is childbearing. Yeah. Being being prosperous in terms in terms of reproducing and becoming a larger family and, and a larger nation. And so yeah, just just what you said, God, it is God and God's faithfulness to the covenant that has made them a numerous people. What do you guys do with towards the end here, the the it comes up a, a number of times in Deuteronomy, this condition of God saying he keeps his covenant to a thousand generations to so those who love him, keep his commandments. But, verse 10, to those who hate him, he'll repay with destruction. So he's saying, Israel, I, I, I picked you, I'm blessing you, not because you earned it, but there are, you know, if there's behavioral expectations here. Is, is that God saying, well, I'll love you until you're not good? Like, is that is it a conditional kind of, of love here? What do, you, what do you make of that? Are you asking me? I'm asking. Are you asking Nikki? Well, well, I mean, Nikki, I was so you asked waiting. the question, which is a difficult question, and then Nikki looked at me, <laughs> which is why I looked at you. I was wondering the same thing. Okay, and, so. and, and I'll just pause here to say, it is okay if you are reading your Bible and you come across a question that you say, "Man, this 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 really makes me think." I'm not sure what to do with this because uh, the three of us here, pastors on staff at a church, we recognize that this is hard too. So uh, that is okay, but I still want to know your thoughts. Yeah. Well, let me let me tell you what a friend of mine said a few years ago that always stuck with me, and then we're going to talk about this delightful uh, little conjunction, the word "but." Uh, I have I had a, I have a friend. I had a friend. I have a friend. I had friends, and I have friends. <laughs> I'm so glad. But this for particular you. friend that I'm talking about said to me once, he said, "That's true. It's just not the only thing that's true." And so often when we're reading, we, we, are, we have this uh, exclusive kind of thinking where it's one or the other, but often life is both and. The conjunction, but. We read it in English. We, we all pretty much know this. The, the Bible was written, Old Testament, primarily in Hebrew, a little bit of Aramaic, and the New Testament in Greek. So when we are reading it in English, we are reading a translation. And so this, this, this connecting word, but, we often read as negative. In English, we think it's this was said, but now I'm going to tell you something different or opposite. But but can can also mean, and this is also true as well. Like it doesn't have to be a negative conjunction; it can be a uh, a positive conjunction. So 
Lincoln, uh, additionally. <laughs> ad- yes, additionally. <laughs> so yep. this is true. Yep. And this next thing is also true at the same time, even though these two things might seem opposite, mm-hmm. right? So uh, the Lord your God is God. He is faithful, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. And also true, those who hate him, he will repay to their faith by destruction. He will not be slow to repay to their face. I love that phrase, gosh, those who hate him. Uh, I, I often say it this way. God is not an enabler. If you make some choices, at some point, he's going to say, rock on with your bad self. And it's in my mind, it's one of the scariest thoughts I have to think about God taking his hands off of your life, taking his active and persistent presence, his protection, his provision. If God takes his hands, his favor off of your life, it's not going to go well. It is a scary thought to me. It's not that God is an ogre, that he's out to get you, but there is a difference between a life that chooses to love God and reaps the benefits and the blessings of God's active covenant faithfulness and people that say, I'm just walking away from all of it. And God's not an enabler. He doesn't force us. He's given us free will. Um, and so it's those two thoughts are true at the same time. And, and to me, it paints a picture of who God is, which is amazing and way above our thoughts. There's, it's important that we don't separate two things. So it's, we sometimes think of the benefits of uh, being in a, a relationship with God. So that there, there are blessings, there are gifts that we don't deserve. And then there are the changes that take place in our life as a result of that, that relationship with God. And sometimes people like to split those two, two things apart and say, can I have the benefits of the relationship without the transformation the relationship brings? Which, when you put it that way, is almost a silly thing to say. Like, if you are in relationship with God, both of these things will happen. Like, you, you will experience all of these things you don't deserve, this, these good gifts, but it's going to change you. And if you, if you are acting like someone who's like, I don't want this to change me at all. I don't want, when I'm in a relationship with God, I don't want my, my priorities, my behavior, uh, anything about me to change. It, it is a declaration of it, what I really want is not to be in a relationship with God. Because uh, it's not just saying, well, I, I'd like the, I'd like the uh, benefits, but I'm not here for the, for the actual impact on my life. And so when we separate those two things and start asking questions, well, like, you know, can you, can you be forgiven and go to heaven and all this stuff and, and n- never, you know, uh, grow in, uh, temp- you know, fighting temptation or overcoming sin or, uh, and doing the things that God asks you to do? Well, well, no, both of those things are the results of this saving relationship. And so uh, when one isn't showing up, then it puts in jeopardy the other. Yeah, it's kind of like I... I want my savior on one side and I still want my sin on the other side. You know, I want one foot in, I want one fight one foot out almost. Yeah. Yeah, and the other parts of the Bible, it you know, it the when it talks about the covenant that God made, it talks about it as a as a marriage. It's sort of like saying, Well, I, I sort of want to be married to this person, but I don't want to actually behave like a, a husband or a wife. You know what I mean? So, you know, for Israel to say, I want to be in a relationship with you and then be unfaithful, uh, is saying, I want to be married and not married at the same time. So the there are two parts of my body that are uh, abnormally formed. Okay. a little, little uncomfortable? I love, I love how awkward it just got in this podcast studio, <laughs> in, including the producers squinting, scrunching her face, and scratching her forehead. <laughs> Don't worry, everybody. We can always edit this stuff out. 
Uh, one is my nose because I have broken it three times and I have a deviated septum. Okay. Well, we've already talked about this in yeah. previous episodes. <laughs> the other is my ring finger where my wedding band sits because for years, can you, can you see how weird that finger yeah. is? Like, no, it's, it's because a weird finger. My, my finger has been formed by my wedding band, right? And so in a, in a lot of ways, what you're just talking about, Clayton's looking at his <laughs> ring finger right now. Maybe my ring is too small. Is that what you're thinking? I don't know. I, <laughs> um, in, in a, your Christianity, your, your walk with Jesus will over time uh, transform, form your life, and it should. And uh, that's just that's just part of it, which is why it says in verse 11 here in Deuteronomy, take care to follow the commands, decrees, and laws I give you today. All right, let's talk about the first M in comma, which is message. What message would you get out of some of our observations? Um, mine was that God takes worship seriously. Um, and, and when I say worship, I mean like worship, not worship in the sense of singing songs, uh, but like worship and the idea of worshiping something or someone, showing love or adoration or devotion or respect towards something or someone. And so in this case, God takes worship seriously in the sense that he is saying that we're not supposed to be loving or showing more devotion or respect for someone or something more than we do for him. Um, he is God. He is the faithful God. I'm looking at all the do nots. Do not intermarry with them. Do not make a treaty with them. Do not give your daughters to their sons. It reminds me of when I, when I first came to faith in Jesus, uh, it was in a Pentecostal church. And Pentecostals tend to be a stream of Christianity that focus more on being separate, right? Being different from, from the culture. So you have the Pentecostal holiness movement. And there, there can creep in some legalism and some rules focus with, with that whole stream of Christianity. But what is to be valued there is taking seriously that, that when, when you surrender to Jesus, you are now part of the people of God. And just like in the Old Testament, we are set apart people uh, to, to be on the earth, to accomplish the purposes of God which means we can't be sloppy. We can't just adopt everything that's going on in our culture. And I think, you know, I, I think there's just a lot, a lot of times I, I look around and I see it in my own life where I'm like, why am I watching this? Or why, this is, why am I listening to this music? There's so much good music. That's, and it's so easy to just slowly uh, just become a part of the culture around you. And so uh, the, the message I have is just how many don't, 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 it just says it like six times in this text. Uh, the message that uh, I, I got from this is, you aren't saved because you've earned it, but you are called to be different. That both of those things are true. Uh, you're not saved because you, you, you've checked all these boxes and you showed yourself to be better than others, but because you are saved, you're called to be different. There, there's got to be a change uh, in that. Let's do the second M, which is meditation. I'm going to uh, pick a, a verse here from this passage, and I want us to take 45 seconds to ponder it prayerfully. Uh, so as, as we do that, uh, maybe even grab onto one word or phrase within this verse and kind of uh, ponder it and think about it and, uh, and listen for what God is saying to you about that in particular. So I'm going to pick verse 6 here, and it says this, You are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. 
All right, let's talk about A, application. How are you going to apply this passage? Uh, I was thinking in, in connection with the passage you had us meditate on, but also what I said, and that God takes worship seriously with, with my message. Um, I think regular checkups, right? Like, is, is there anything or anyone, uh, maybe even myself, that I'm making like a tiny God, like a little God in my life? Um, in the sense, like, am I putting something or someone else or even myself before God? Uh, and, and I think the truth is, is that uh, sometimes we do this and we don't even realize it. It's something that we've fallen into. Um, for me, it's like, you know, the end of the day, am I too tired to read God's word? In the morning, am I too busy to make time? Um, you know, like, y- you just say, like, you, you sit down, you think, do that checkup. Am I X, Y, Z, fill in the blank? before God, you know, and, um, I just, I want to be mindful that I'm not doing that, you know? My application is if the Lord has called me out, don't intentionally go back in. (laughs) The beauty of being a part of God's treasured possession and being a part of what God wants to do throughout history. Why would I ever be tempted to go back to the world and all, uh, yeah, but we are, and we all know it in, in a lot of different ways. And so my application is, uh, much, much like Nikki was saying to take some inventory and just kind of check up on things. Are there, are there places in my life where I am tempted to go back in when the Lord has called me out? Yeah. Mine's, mine's similar in terms of, uh, taking an inventory of kind of looking at your life but it's in particular. I'm thinking about that that verse about don't don't leave the altars and the stones and the you know different things sitting around. The, the things that would kind of form you to want to worship these gods. And this is kind of something we've been doing at Christ Community this, this summer, talking about uh, spiritual disciplines and some of the, the practices that we have that uh, shape us and 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 help us to love God well. Um, the flip side of those is saying what are the things that are in my life that are kind of like normal rhythms and and patterns that are shaping me in the wrong direction, and to actually ask where are those things that need to be eliminated, because those are the things that are drawing my heart away from God. They're causing me to look at other things as more important or as normal that aren't that that shouldn't be normalized for me. Um, where are those things that I've let you know kind of stick around uh, in my life uh, that would draw me away from that? All right. Well, that was some good stuff, guys. Thank you for listening this week. We hope that you're joining us next Monday for another episode. And in the meantime, if you are not reading along with the Bible Savvy Reading Plan, please go to BibleSavvy.com, download it, start reading along with us. Now you can subscribe and leave a review on whatever platform you're listening on. You can email us your questions or suggestions at podcast at BibleSavvy.com. And if you're a Twitter fan, you can go there to find additional Bible Savvy Insights. Lastly, tell your friends, and we'll talk to you next week.